This episode of the FitCast is brought to you by Pedestal Footwear at PedestalFootwear.com. They've engineered the ultimate sock for people that love to train hard, but still get the benefits of barefoot training. Check them out at PedestalFootwear.com. Hey everyone, before we get into the show, just a heads up, I launched this thing called the FitCast Network at FitCast.network that now has every one of the podcasts that I produce all in one place, including three brand new shows. On Monday, you're always going to get the FitCast. On Tuesday, you're going to get the FitCast Book Club every other week, where I get together with someone else and we talk about all these great books that we're reading in the industry that we use to help ourselves and help others. And then on Wednesday, you're always going to get We Are Recording, a brand new show that is all about talking to interesting people and their amazing stories, how they got to where they are today. It's a really awesome freeform show that is still finding its way, and I am recording more of those, and it is just getting better every single time. And then every other Thursday, you're going to get FitCast Life Fuel, which is all about giving you what you need to be successful in the world. And sometimes that's just a little kick in the butt. Sometimes it's giving you the tools that you need to do something in video production or podcasting or in the fitness industry or just trying to make sure that whatever you want to do is a success and you have the motivation you need to make it happen. And then every Friday, you're going to get back in my play, which is all about old video games and the people that have made them and that are protecting their history. It's so much awesome stuff on the FitCast Network. And finally, you can probably tell I've invested some money into some brand new audio equipment, so the show is going to sound even better going forward. So that is all from me. I hope you enjoy the show this week, and please go to FitCast.network, and then jump on iTunes, your favorite podcasting resource, And subscribe to all the new shows. Check them out. There's even a feed that has every single show. So you only need to download one feed and they'll automatically show up on your phone, your computer, however you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome back to the FitCast. My name is Kevin Larrabee and back on the show from... Uh, and that would, these intros are always super long for Brian because I'm like, oh, you know, from uh, Cressy's sports performance. And uh, of course, he was one of my mentors as I was there. And now he's just doing amazing stuff at uh, the wonderful Precision Nutrition, like the go to source when it comes to uh, nutrition information for people in this industry because you guys are doing such a great job. So it's always fantastic to have you back on the show. What's up, man? What's going on, Kev? Thanks for having me. It's always uh, it's always fun to be on. And I really always appreciate your your radio voice that you that you bring out when you do the <laughs> intro. It's always flip the it's always a nice change from the, from the usual. Yeah, you you have to flip the switch a little bit, and it, it it adds to the the ten years mystique of of continuing to do this show. You pick up little things here and there, and you start sounding a little bit less like an eighteen year old or a nineteen year old recording into a cheap USB microphone. Uh, so you got to make improvements. You got to keep getting better. Um, I hear you. And I think that's what a lot of this episode is going to be about because, uh, I mean, this is – I think this is the third or the fourth one. I'm going to say the fourth one that we've done together. And I think some of the best stuff that we've talked about has been the the great work that you guys are doing over at PN with helping people change habits and figuring out what to do. Uh, after we figured out, okay, this is these are the food choices we should make. Now let's try to figure out for people how do we get them to continuously make those choices or 
maybe uh, for for the way that you guys put it, you know, ninety percent of the time, how can we get them to do this stuff ninety percent of the time to help them reach the goals that they want to reach? So, the, I guess the first thing that I want to ask you when we get started today is, it, it has been about a year since the last time that we talked. So, you guys are always involving things over at Precision Nutrition. What are what are the things that you guys are focusing on? more of these days than than you were, say, uh, a year ago? What are the things that you're trying to uh, systemize and trying to work on to help other people out there? Mm. Uh, It's kind of a loaded question. There are many different ways I can can take that. I mean, in terms of in terms of like helping clients, I mean, we're always, you know, iterating and improving our coaching program and our mm-hmm. coaching practices, um, you know, improving like our strategies for our own coaches to employ and their own coaching, like interaction with clients, as mm-hmm. well as making like our lesson content better and maybe tweaking habit language and, you know, different things like that. Because we're always looking to make our systems and our programs better and work to, to keep more people in them and to help them, you know, lose more weight or gain more muscle or whatever their goals might be. So there's always that kind of thing going on um, in that regard. And then in, we also have like our, uh, what I would call like our educational piece, like our blog. One of the things we're really focusing on this year um, is about like metabolism. Right? There's a lot of discussion about, you know, dieting like this slowed my metabolism or do I have a slow metabolism or, the, or a fast metabolism? And we feel like a lot of that is because people don't quite fundamentally grasp what the metabolism really is um, and how the whole system kind of works interacts how it's interdependent and so we've started um we're gonna be writing a book essentially but we've started putting pieces of that book out as blog posts like we had i wrote a piece about uh, metabolic damage oh a couple weeks or months ago i I lose track of time um and we've written some infographics about you know calories in and calories out that i think have been really great and you know that work really well for most people if you're a a really advanced client for example it's not necessarily going to apply to you um you know, people who who are, who are counting calories and measuring food is important and is relevant for your goals. But for most clients, uh, it, the way we outlined it, I think, is is fantastic and kind of gives people a good idea of exactly how their metabolism works and how it can differ from person to person and why it can differ, but why that may or may not matter and what you can do about it. Um, so I, I think that's been our big focus so far in the beginning of this year, and it's going to continue on. Uh, I'll be writing that a big chunk of that book along with JB and, and Dr. Krista Scott Dixon uh, throughout the rest of this year. And so we're really excited about where that's going to take us and what other content we can take from that book. It's going to be a free ebook. It's not mm-hmm. like it's going to be anything people have to pay for. It's just like our intermittent fasting book. We kind of envision it being kind of like that, like a full comprehensive resource about the metabolism and calories in and calories out and adaptive thermogenesis and all these cool things that the body does mm-hmm. to give people a good idea of how exactly weight loss or muscle gain occur. And so we, we were really excited about that. And in terms of like our, our work with like um, fitness professionals and stuff, we're actually finally, after many years of people requesting it, working on like licensing our coaching platform and software oh, for wow. fitness professionals. Yeah, there's a whole – I don't know a ton about it. It's not taking place in my domain of, of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're doing a lot of testing on it. It's, it's actually fairly – fairly far along. I don't want to oversell and underdeliver because sure, yeah. I'm not exactly sure when they're looking to, to launch it. But we've had you know numerous requests, innumerable requests over the years. Mm-hmm. People can utilize that for habit-based coaching. And, it's, and I can tell you it's coming. So it's something that we're really excited about. Um, you know, Really, really proud of the fact that we're going to be able to give this tool to trainers and to coaches to track their, their habit 
you know, how well clients are following their habits and doing their workouts or whatever the case might be. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about that and all the things we're working on. Awesome. Yeah. You guys are always kind of leading the way with this stuff. And, um, especially in terms of getting all this information, all this research and figuring out, all right, well, how do we, how do we kind of chew all this stuff up and make it digestible for the the fitness professional or the the person that did not go and get their masters to be able to understand this stuff. Um, and along with that, like one of the best resources, if, if you get anything out of today, it's making sure that you're going to the precision nutrition website and making sure that you're bookmarking that blog, uh, because you guys just put out a, like an unfair amount of awesome information <laughs> on there for, for free, um, including like just simple stuff that you can use for yourself. But also uh, the way that we use it in our gym is we use a lot of that stuff to help the people that we're working with, like the infographic stuff that you guys right. put together that make it way easier for people, people to understand like, all right, well, what's like, what's the serving of fat? What should that look like? What's the serving of protein? What should that look like? What about um, a serving of uh, carbohydrates? What should mm-hmm. that look like? And um, I believe there's even an article uh, that you had talking about uh, carbohydrates because that's something that continues to be a really hot topic in, in our gym and uh, with other people that are trying to help out the the fat loss client, you know. Right. Um, so I, I don't know if you could talk a little bit about that or we could get into discussion of, of where you guys are at in terms of prescriptions. Not like, I hate that word, but the mm, like, recommendations, yeah, suggestions. There you go. That's not like the suggestions for carbohydrate intake for, for fat loss because – what is it? Ten years ago, the the big thing. I mean, fifteen years ago it was it was Atkins. It was right. um, making South sure, Beach, yeah. so, South Beach. Um, that like was it the anabolic diet, which was like no carbohydrates except for like two days every, mm-hmm. every yeah five and two five and two. Um, so, I mean, what what have you guys found to work best for the person that's trying to lose weight? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I mean. Of course, the the answer is almost always it depends, right? But we can yeah. I can give you some pretty concrete examples. I mean, in our in our own coaching like programs, like in PN coaching, we have clients eat carbs. I mean, carbs are important for most people for to do many things. So you need carbohydrates to support hormone production, like thyroid, testosterone, suppress cortisol, things of that nature. You need carbs to to fuel for high intensity exercise. So if you're doing sprints or you're playing, even if you're playing like men's league hockey or men's league soccer and you want to be able to run hard and sprint fast and do those kind of things, like that type of activity is fueled by glucose, is fueled by carbohydrates. So there is some type of need for most people to have carbs in their diet. And so we just encourage you know people to eat smarter quality sources. So, you know, more like minimally processed things, whole grains, beans, legumes, fruits, you know, root, starchy root tubers, your sweet potatoes, your potatoes, things of that nature. Um, It's not an exhaustive list, obviously, but we really emphasize quality over quantity, but we do also make suggestions for quantity. Um, For... For most men, like in our weight loss program, let's say, we probably recommend about like one to two handfuls per meal. So really more like, you know, in our, on the blog, you'll see us often recommend like six to eight handfuls, but that's not necessarily like a weight loss recommendation. That's just our general starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So for guys looking to lose weight, we'd probably be ending up more in like the, I would say more closer, closer to six, not maybe not quite four to six, but closer to six on the whole. Mm-hmm. And we could get down to, to five or four per day, you know, depending on need, but you're going to be on the lower end of that recommendation. So we're usually recommending like one to two handfuls per meal. And for women, we recommend like four to six per day as our normal starting point. So for weight loss, what you'll often see is a recommendation of getting down closer to four, but it also... Mm-hmm. It can depend on the size of the individual, how much training they actually do. I mean, if you're someone who's exercising five days a week, you know, and you're a large framed person, you know, we're not probably not going to recommend three handfuls of carbohydrates a day. Mm-hmm. It's probably not going to, you're probably going to lose too fast uh, unless you're making up for those calories elsewhere. And when you lose more than one half to 1% of your body weight per week, you know, we end up seeing people have, they end up losing more lean mass, they have a higher like adaptive thermogenesis response. There's all kinds of things that end up happening that are going to be a problem longer term. Mm -hmm. So short term, you might lose faster, but it can cause issues longer term, which can then, you know, actually make you make the whole process less sustainable. So we tend to try to have you lose as fast as you can in a healthy, sane manner. Mm -hmm. What, uh, I guess, I should give you an example. Let's let's use the the general. Let's say the two hundred pound male. What and he, let's say he's he's untrained. He's looking to get down into the one seventy range. Mm-hmm. Like what is that? Uh, I guess maybe my question is how low can he go without really feeling any of the you know the hormonal uh, side effects that he could have if he's not meeting what he needs. In terms of grams or in terms of cupped handfuls, what do you, what do you want to get at, Kev? You want to do both? I don't know. Um, I mean, obviously, if you guys like to work in handfuls, I'm I'm cool with that. Yeah, I, that's my general preference because most people, you know, most of the time aren't aren't counting their grams of carbohydrates. Right. Um, you certainly there there can be a time and a place for it, and it's successful for some people. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things we always try to really stress is like being a results oriented coach. If mm-hmm. someone does those kind of things, if they count calories and count grams, and they can do it sanely and sustainably, and it works for them, cool, roll with it. Not everyone has to use the hand sized portions. I think that kind of gets lost sometimes mm-hmm. um, in our recommendations. But I'm I'm digressing. Well, and 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 I, I want to point people to, uh, again, to the blog, you actually had an article, I think it was a, towards the end of last year, uh, settling the great grain debate, which mm. is, a, is a good um, accessory for this for this discussion. So I will make sure this will be one of those things. I, I might actually link to this in the show notes. But if you need nice. to, just Google settling the great uh, grain debate, uh, precision nutrition, it pops right up. Beautiful. Yeah, I wrote that yeah, maybe about a year ago. It's hard. I lose track. Um, but yeah, in terms of the question, if you have like a 200-pound guy, yeah. let's say his goal, yeah, his goal is to be like 170. Mm-hmm. Um, he exercises three days per week, you know, with light to moderate activity outside of the gym. So it's not like he's, you know, getting after it six, seven days a week or anything like that. Now, you're probably going to end up with someone like that mm-hmm. in, in that four to six handful range. I wouldn't start lower than six because the goal is essentially – to eat as much food as you can while still making the progress you want to make. And that's not how I would frame it to a client. Um, But as a coach, it helps to minimize hunger. We're still going to make good progress, but we're not going to be starving the person. You you end up causing, when people end up under eating excessively, yes, they will Mm -hmm. lose weight faster. But they're also going to lose like a significant amount of muscle mass as that weight. So we want to try to retain as much muscle mass as we can. So that's why I really try to aim for as as the coach looking at the outcomes, you know, like 
one, like I said before, one half to 1% of their body weight per week. So the, for mm-hmm. this 200 pound guy, that's one to two pounds per week. It's a very be, reasonable rate of progress. Rock solid, yeah. Yeah. So you're looking at, I would probably have this guy take in, you know, six to eight handfuls of protein. You know, protein is going to be six to eight palms of protein, sorry, per day. Protein is going to be super important for maintaining his lean mass, for keeping his hunger at bay. I mean, you're, you're going to be a little hungry when you lose weight. That's just mm-hmm. a function of, that's just your body responding to the fact that you're not taking in enough calories to maintain your current body weight. That, that's going to happen. But there are things you can do to help mitigate that. And protein is one of the most important ones because it's so, so powerful at decreasing appetite and mm-hmm. acting as a satiating mechanism. So increasing protein, six to eight fifths of, of vegetables per day, obviously getting tons of health benefits, but also just giving you volume, giving you fiber, and giving you a lot of food so it doesn't feel like you're eating so much less, even if your calorie intake is lower. Mm-hmm. And then your your carbs, yeah, I'd probably be I'd probably stick closer to the six to start, six handfuls and, and like six thumb sized portions of fat. And then we see where it goes and we adjust as necessary. He's not losing fast enough. Well, maybe we remove a handful of carbs or a thumb of fats from his daily intake. He's losing too fast. Actually, we should probably add a little bit back so mm-hmm. we make sure that he can maintain and retain as much lean mass as possible while still maximizing his fat loss. For, uh, for people that aren't familiar with the, the PN system for, for like handfuls of carbohydrates, uh, what's an example of like a handful? It's not a handful of of Skittles, obviously. <laughs> um, what, what, are, what are those carb sources looking like? Like, what are you guys generally recommending? And, and what is that handful? What could that potentially look like? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so the you know recommended sources would be your mostly minimally processed whole food sources of carbohydrates. So like any and all fresh fruit, you know, a little, some dried fruit can be okay too if it's not sweetened. Frozen fruit, of course. Uh, whole grains, so your your whole wheat, your oats, your whole grain rice, your quinoa, things of that nature. Um, you got your starchy root tubers, your potatoes, your sweet potatoes, and all the varieties of of those. Your your beans, your legumes, your lentils. Um, those would all kind of fall under that category. So it doesn't have to be like an exact measured handful, like an apple. You know, mm-hmm. it could be a moderately sized apple. It could be a little bit bigger. And that's kind of the beauty of, of the hand-sized portions too is smaller people who have who require less food generally because they're smaller. They have a, a lower metabolic output from being smaller. Mm-hmm. They're going to have smaller hands and therefore they get smaller portions. Bigger people who generally, generally require more calories or more food have bigger hands and therefore get slightly bigger portions. It's not dramatically significant, but it will add up over the course of a day. Um, you know, and that can it tends to scale well to the individual. And so, you know, your lean or your uh, minimally processed whole food sources of carbohydrates, you know, the ones I kind of listed, would be your your general examples. And people tend to try to get 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 lost in the weeds a little bit. Um, you know, worrying about well, is one slice of toast one handful, or is, is it this these, this slice of toast is thinner than that one? Is this one therefore two handfuls? Like, don't overthink it. You know, just guesstimate and mm-hmm. then you adjust you know especially if you eat a pretty consistent intake if you're following you know let's say you're having two two slices for a while along with your other meals and you're not making the progress you want to make okay so now maybe you remove a slice and you remove a little something else and then you see where that takes you um it doesn't require these huge dramatic sweeping changes to make reasonable progress and i think that's also something important to to keep in mind i i feel like I, 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 every time you say it, I, it puts a smile on my uh, face. Starchy root tubers, <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's something are, you man. should you should be calling someone that man. Like Brian, you're you're a dirty starch 
starchy root tuber. I don't know where this is going. But. <laughs> because they're on the ground, so they're dirt. anyways. Um, yeah, I got you. So yeah, and again, uh, you know, just reference people back to that, and you finish off. You, you're you're making some points of like uh, guidelines, or you're giving like a list of people, and you also mentioned at the end, stay sane, don't uh, diet extremism uh, leads to stress, unhappiness, and unfortunately, weight gain mm-hmm. and health problems. Like that's the stuff when people go so extreme. That's when they. They see some quick results, but then they bounce right back, if not even more so, because it's just not something that's sustainable. Right. Or they, the, the trick is like you can, you can do, there's some interesting research that shows when people make fairly rapid weight loss, it tends to like allow them, if they can transition to more sustainable habits, mm-hmm. it can actually work the best. But that's, that, that's the real like, uh, con- what's the word I'm looking for? It's like the real bottleneck is right. if. It's only if you can make that transition to more sustainable habits. If you have a plan in place and you have a setup and you have an idea in mind, that can work too. And, and I can, as a coach, I'm okay with that as long as it's still safe and, and healthy and not going to cause any issues. Um, but there has to be a plan in place for that kind of transition. If it's if there isn't, if that's just like you're just doing this extreme approach and and thinking that's going to be your you know your savior. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's where we'd have to have like a kind of, if I was your coach, like a heart to heart conversation and kind of discuss that and figure that out. So it's because it's my job as your coach to help make sure you are staying healthy and sane and making an informed decision. If that's what you want to do, you know, I'm not going to make you not do it. That's not what I'm there for. I'm there to help you make informed choices, but I'd want to make sure that you were aware that, you know, having a plan in place is going to be the key to help you transition into a more sustainable approach. Uh, I, I want to continue talking about carbohydrates for for a little bit, but since you brought it up, uh, I'm curious what what you guys have uh, found or what you believe to be the the best uh, schedule for for check ins with a client to make sure that they're adhering to what uh, you have given them for for nutritional protocols, like because you don't want to you know, see them on Monday, you're not training with them again until Friday and just like leave them be for, for that long. Um, but also at the same time, you don't want to be texting them every 30 minutes saying like, Hey, I'm just making sure that you didn't stop off at at Wendy's and and get a bunch of, you know, make some bad food choices kind of thing. Um, so have you guys found like looking through all like the psychological stuff, like what, what, what is kind of like the best system for, for, keeping track and, and staying in touch with our, our clients and our athletes or whatever to make sure that they're following this stuff without being a pain in the butt. Right, without inundating them. It's a really good question. There's some kind of conflicting data. Um, some stuff seems to show like twice a week, but it, it depends on the type of touch. Some stuff can be daily if it's like a really low touch. Um, you know, you're not asking for this huge amount of mental effort and energy. So it, it depends on exactly what kind of touch you're talking about. So, I mean, the, the frame I can give you is from our own experience coaching at PN, but which is remote coaching, right? It's different than you guys coaching at, at Mike's and, and having like an in-person conversation or in-person session on a pretty regular basis. But at, from our perspective with what we do, you know, obviously like the program itself gives them like a daily connection. They get a daily email, they have a lesson, they have a habit to practice, they have a workout. So there's a daily touch, which is great because it keeps that cadence of accountability. They expect it on a daily basis. But then their coach is also expected to reach out to them like every one to two weeks. 
Um, you know, and it, the exact frequency depends on the client. We kind of allow some people to, or allow people to kind of make that decision, but the coach is expected if the client doesn't have a preference to reach out every one to two weeks and not just like reach out and say, Hey, how are you doing? It's a much more in depth, like, Hey, I was looking at your metrics, your photos, your whatever. Hey, I noticed you were, you, you stated in this most recent assignment, you're doing X, Y, and Z. It's kind of like an in-depth review, but they can obviously touch base less in-depth more frequently. We'll have send out team messages or send out, you know, less in-depth touches just to see how people are doing, especially if you know something big is coming up. It's their birthday. It's their kid's birthday. They have a big business meeting, you know, so it's, there's no one exact frequency, um, but getting to know your clients and asking them, you know, what's going to work best for them, what, you kind of have to have that discussion. You know, you can't just arbitrarily slot everybody into the same cadence, but you should have a system that you generally stick with that you adjust per per client just like you would with your training right you might have like a philosophy or a general template you use for most people when they start but you adjust it based on their own assessment and things of that nature so i would say in person my experience own experience in that domain and in my intuition and and knowledge would say probably like twice a week, mm-hmm. uh, making sure you're at least touching base and especially if you're only seeing them once a week, touching in at least one more time. But some people are going to need more and some will only, some will want less. Mm. But if someone needs more accountability, you got to have that conversation. So you're not feeling like you're, you know, stalking them, inundating them with, with reach outs, but that they know you're reaching out because you care. And it's because you're trying to help them. It's not because you're judging them or, you know, giving them any type of, uh, you know, obsessive feedback. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. So let's, uh, let's, let's talk about, uh, gluten, um, <laughs> because it's, it's still, it's still a hot topic. And the, and the, the, the thing that I want to ask is, uh, this is someone that's asked you that has not, who's basically just read some awesome stuff that you guys have done. But I, I, I think we all hear, like everyone who's listening to this knows someone who says like, oh yeah, you know, I'm gluten-free now and I feel so much better. Why do, why do you think they feel better? Uh, well, that's also a loaded question. Um, there can be a couple of different reasons. I'm great with loaded questions. Welcome <laughs> to the thick ass. I mean, one, it obviously can be the placebo effect, right? You kind of expect to feel better. So therefore you do feel better. But that's not always the case, right? It could be maybe they had some type of issue with with gluten. Maybe they actually have undiagnosed celiac. That's certainly possible. Um, No one quite knows if non-celiac gluten sensitivity actually exists. There's a lot of debate in the research world. If it does exist, people estimate it's maybe at most 10% of the population um, is the most recent stuff I've read. But some researchers don't believe it exists whatsoever. Um, they believe it's more of an issue with FODMAPs, which are particular types of carbohydrates and often occur in the same things that gluten occurs in. So like wheat, for example, wheat contains fructans, right, which are a type of prebiotic fiber. Inulin is an example of a fructan. That inulin doesn't occur in wheat, but I did my master's thesis on wheat, so unfortunately I know all too much about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but fructans can be problematic for, for some people, just like fructose, fructose malabsorption falls they're they're a related compound uh there are many other examples but fructans occur in wheat so there's a theory um that it's actually a fodmap intolerance versus Mm. a gluten intolerance so when they remove these gluten containing foods they're drastically decreasing their intake of these fodmap containing foods and therefore are feeling better because of lowered fodmaps rather than lowered gluten so there is no one answer there are several possibilities but my thought is if someone is feeling much better 
eating gluten-free, I would do one of two things. One, I would just roll with it. If they're really adamant, it's working for them. Cool. That's, that's great. I'm glad you found something that works for you. Let's just help make sure that this is going to help meet all your needs. You're still getting adequate total carbohydrates from good sources. You know, you're not just eating poor quality, like gluten-free pseudo foods. Uh, we can still work with that. It's, that's not a big deal. If that's what you want to roll with and that's working for you. Awesome. I can mm-hmm. help you make that even better. Or if someone's like, I really, I'm really digging this, but it's going to be hard for me to continue this long term. You can help them do a, a, a test and see if it's actually gluten that's the problem or if it's something else, you know, like an elimination style diet where you would reintroduce gluten. Ideally, you can even reintroduce it when they don't know. So having like a significant other or a roommate or something with the per participant knows this will happen at some point. Obviously, it's not uh, you're not trying to do it completely ninja style, mm-hmm. but you would slip it in there at some point for a couple of days and see how if they notice anything. If there's no response, mm-hmm. if they don't notice anything, it's probably not an issue with gluten. Because <laughs> if they know about it and they're expecting there to be a problem, you can get that reverse placebo effect essentially, where yeah. it's a problem because they expect there to be a problem. So. As a coach, you know, the key thing is to just make sure your clients are safe and healthy and doing it the right way. But if they're actually feeling better and doing better, then you just roll with it, man. I mean, that's where you got to be, an, like, again, a results-oriented coach. Mm-hmm. Can you fit Ninja Mode into, like, the book, into the ebook? <laughs> can you please, J- I'll, 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 that I can do. I'll talk to JV about <laughs> okay. it. Hey, guys, I'm going to stop you for a second so I can talk to you about our sponsor, Pedestal Footwear. And trust me, you're going to want to stick around because they've engineered the ultimate sock for us, the people that like to go into the gym and train hard, still get the benefits of barefoot training, but not break the rules of the gym or get our feet incredibly gross. And to be honest, we don't want to gross up the people around us. So what they've done is, like I said, engineered this this really perfect sock. They've done a couple things. First, they actually have a durable silicone grip on the bottom of the sock. So you're kind of getting the benefits of being in a shoe. So if you want to do like lateral plyometric work like I do in my house, or if I'm doing it on turf, I'm still going to be able to get that grip that I would get from a shoe. Also, it's silver treated, so they will not smell like your regular socks. They even suggest washing them just every three to five workouts. Like You don't have to wash them every single time. They're not going to smell. I love mine. I've had a couple pairs for a couple months and I train in them exclusively. I do a lot of stuff at home on rug. So like if you're doing a kettlebell swing, you need to make sure that you can actually hold on to the ground, right? You don't want your feet sliding all over the place when you're swinging a 36 kg bell or if you're doing something like a getup or if you're doing something like a split squat or like I said, if you're going to do any plyometric work, you cannot risk your feet sliding all over the place. So what I want you to do is go and check out their website. Go and see what they have in terms of styles and colors, which they have a great lineup of stuff. And they're actually going to give you an opportunity to win a couple pairs of the socks. And we're going to do a couple giveaways throughout the show in the next couple weeks, but this is your first opportunity. And trust me, not a lot of people are going to go and and make the extra effort to do this. If you want to win a couple pairs, it's super easy to do it. All you got to do is go to their website. So I want you to go to pedestalfootwear.com at P-E-D-E-S-T-A-L-F-O-O-T-W-E-A-R.com. I want you to pick your favorite style, cut, and size, and then just comment on one of their posts on Instagram. So yeah, I know not everyone's going to have Instagram, so we're going to have more giveaways in the next couple of weeks. But this is going to be your opportunity to win 
a, a free pair of these socks and they're just absolutely outstanding. I'm really positive. If you try these out, there's no going back. You're going to absolutely love these socks. So check them out. Pedestalfootwear.com. You have a chance to win a pair, but if you're just, you know, you don't want to wait, just, just trust me, order a couple pairs. I've been training in them exclusively now. Everyone at our gym at MBSC got a pair and they all love them. They're, they're so fantastic. And I think this is just going to be kind of the wave of the future when it comes to, to barefoot training and still getting the benefits of not grossing people out by being actually barefoot. You're still going to be able to grip on the ground. And trust me, when winter comes up, you're going to be appreciative that you can still train in socks. It's going to be absolutely uh, fantastic. I use mine throughout the winter as well. So go check them out, pedestalfootwear.com. And let's get back to the show. Um, all right. Well, and that's, that's the thing. I, I, I think it, it is unbelievable how, how much this continues to be like a whirlpool of, of stories that come up that say, you know, uh, you know, gluten intolerance is absolute crap. You know, and another article comes up, you know, the magic of, of gluten free eating. And, and it's like the pop culture stuff that we continue to be uh, fed. If you follow anything, I guess, outside of a very strict nutrition uh, fishbowl or, or fitness and nutrition fishbowl of this industry. So that's why I want to bring it up because I'm sure there's plenty of people listening who are always like either rolling their eyes when they see someone, yeah, I just picked up these gluten-free Oreos are really, really great. And I feel way better when I eat them. Um, so it's good to have that fuel for the fire, I guess. I <laughs> um, service, Kev. Right, right. Uh, so let's go into uh, some other stuff that, that people had so I don't monopolize all the time. Um, so we got some great questions on, on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, because I uh, forgot to copy and paste names, I don't have names, but you guys are awesome because you helped submit questions for this show. So you're going to get some great questions answered and hopefully some some good topics are going to come up from it. So uh, first one, uh, how do you uh, help them find the approach to eating that works best for them right now? So you, you like not you, you. Brian, but, um, you know, people always say, all right, well just eat the best way that works for you. Find what works best for you. But how do you go about helping people figure, uh, figure out what, you know, the best approach is in terms of, of eating what, what style and whatnot? Well, there are a couple different ways. I mean, one is within your initial assessment of a client, if you're working with them, you know, you can ask simple questions like what's worked for them in the past. You know, what have they tried that's been successful, at least temporarily? Mm. You can get all kinds of clues um, about things that they've done historically or things that they want to try. But generally speaking, what I, I generally do, let's say they don't have an answer for that. You know, I like to start people very middle of the road, like our standard recommendations kind of area. And then we just kind of experiment from there. Like we're trying something, but let's say they're trying to lose weight. So we might lower their carbs a little bit and see how they respond. Maybe they feel like crap. Maybe they bring the carbs back up and we lower the fats and we see how they respond. You've got to have a conversation with your client. It's not just, you know, oh, we'll just go figure it out. That's clearly not the answer. You're a part of that process. You're collaborating with your client to help them figure that out. Now, if you don't have a coach, you've got to kind of self-experiment to a degree. But you can only self-experiment once you have a baseline, once you already have a pretty good, you know, like, relationship with food kind of thing and you've got a pretty good idea of portion sizes and you have a pretty stable weight and then you can kind of test like okay I've been eating this way for a little while pretty consistently you know doing this this consistent breakfast and this this snack this lunch whatever 
And then you can kind of, all right, I'm going to decrease my carb intake for the next two weeks and then just see what happens. You know, kind of be like a scientist to a degree, be outcome oriented, but focusing on the behavior of decreasing carbs and then just see what the result is. And, and not just the result of weight loss, but the result of weight loss, energy, hunger, you know, sex drive, sleep. You can measure all kinds of things and see how you feel and how you respond and then go from there. If that, if you feel awesome and you're making good progress, cool, go with it. If not, if you feel like crap and you have no energy in the gym and you have no sex drive and you're not sleeping well, well, that's a problem. You know, then I'd probably bring it back up to baseline, wait a few more weeks and then test something else. Maybe we lower fats next time. Maybe we'd even decrease protein. We could do a million different things and test it out because it could might not just be a macronutrient. It might be a specific food that's causing an issue, right? So that's where doing a food log can be really helpful if someone's having a problem and not just a a list of foods that they're eating, but actually like writing down, okay, this is what I had for this meal, you know, why you ate and how you felt after. And you can even keep notes throughout several days. And I had a client, for example, I know I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but I had a client um, who I actually used to work with at Boston Sports Club when I worked there at the very beginning of my career. And he followed me to Cressy Performance. I won't say his name on here, but he was a great guy. Hadn't heard from him in a few years. Reached out because he'd recently been diagnosed with uh, Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. So I'm not an expert in Crohn's disease. You know, I'm familiar with it, certainly, but it's not my area. But we certainly looked into some things. I had him do some food logs for me to see because he had some specific flare-ups. and He couldn't isolate why and what was going on. And so we had him do some food logs and we ended up isolating like cherries were a big one for him. Hmm. Something else I can't remember off the top of my head. We were able to isolate just a few foods that he could remove and he felt significantly better. No, it wasn't perfect. There were still some other things we worked out, um, still some other changes he had to make to his intake. But just those like two or three foods made such a huge difference for him. And we only would have figured that out by tracking and kind of being, you know, outcome-based and realizing, okay, whenever you eat this, you know, whenever you do X, Y happens. If this, then that kind of thing. And so we really kind of isolated it down. It took us a little while. It probably took us a month. Um, But he was patient and I had given him, we had talked about what the process was going to be like. So he knew what what to expect and what we were looking for. And we figured it out. And so that's, I kind of went a different direction with that, but it's the Mm -hmm. same kind of idea. Totally. You've got to kind of, systematically figure it out if you want to eat that way and try to figure out what works best for you versus what just works good enough. I apologize for bringing this up. Like I feel like every time that I talk to, to anyone that is in this world of, of nutrition, but I've, I've, I think I've gotten to the point where this doesn't, this practically does not mean anything. And that's meal timing. Um, because there's, there's the six meals a day, there's intermittent fasting, which is a 16-hour thing. There's a 24-hour thing. There's three meals a day. There's four meals a day. Um, there's – I forget what it was, that thing. Uh, it's like the prehistoric whatever thing where you eat just once at night. Oh, what the hell was that called? Like carb backloading kind of thing almost? No, like a- oh, it wasn't carb backloading. Someone at work had a book on it. Um, intermittent it, feast? Yeah, it's, it's like something where you just – you eat one big meal at night, which is basically – like kind of like Ramadan essentially like fasting all day and then eating basically. Yeah. Um, so maybe this is a two parter and this is again, a loaded question, but for, for people out there, um, and it, and it might even seem like an obvious question and an answer, but 
How, how do you help people figure out what, what the best meal timing is for them? And does any of this even mean anything? Is it as long as we're getting in the caloric needs and the, you know, the vitamins and minerals that we need to do what we want to do in a 24 hour window, does it really matter? Uh, for the most part, no. You know, there are some exceptions. There is some evidence that in older people, uh, having like pulses of protein seems to be more effective at like maintaining lean mass and that kind of thing. But that just means like eating two or maybe three times a day rather than just trying to do one. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some interesting differences, you know, between men and women and especially elderly folks versus younger folks. But for the most part, not a whole lot of evidence points to any significant differences. You know, there might be for people with like diabetes, there's some different things from managing blood sugar. But in a, you know, quote unquote, relatively healthy individual, um, no. So in terms of like finding the frequency for most people, mm-hmm. honestly, like we, again, use that same like outcome-based decision-making. Let's say you're normally eating six times a day and it's working for you and you enjoy it. It fits your lifestyle. You like having all the variety, awesome. We just roll with it. I'm not even going to address that unless I feel like it becomes a barrier to your, your progress. Mm-hmm. But if you're someone who's eating six meals a day, cause like you think it should be better, but it sucks for you. You feel like you're constantly hungry cause you're never getting like big enough meals that are satisfying you. Or you're thinking about food all day because you never really have like a long stretch of time between meals or snacks or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm then we'll address it. You know, okay, let's try to switch to, we, we tend to recommend four times a day as like a, our general starting point because it's right in the middle. Um, and it tend, well, we, we, we find it tends to meet most people's needs really well. You get big enough meals where you're satisfied after a meal, holds you over for a good like three, four hours. You only have to make three or four, you know, like four different things per day. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be coming up with all kinds of different various meals. You don't have to clean up as much, you know, all those kind of things that go into, you don't have to pack as much, as many different meal concoctions to go to work and doesn't interrupt your life as much. Um, so we tend to find that's the really good middle ground, but it's not the solution for everybody. If you do intermittent fasting, like lean gain style and eat twice a day and it works for you and it fits your lifestyle, I'm going to roll with it, man. If, if you come mm-hmm. to me looking to do something else, um, or it's not, you're not, you're trying to do that while gaining muscle and having a hard time. Well, you might have a discussion about trying to squeeze in a third meal or, you know, whatever else we can do. But for the most part, if you are meeting your goals at the frequency that you're currently eating, then frequency is not where I start. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly something if there's, noted issues from it or I noticed that you're like drastically under eating at one meal and significantly overeating at another because they're so far apart kind of thing yeah we'll discuss that but it's it's just a part of the context of the coaching it's not nutrient timings in and of itself is not a main focus see this is this is the show is all about just putting stuff to bed I'm just trying to close the chapter on a bunch of different discussions so we can continue to forward people back to this one to not bring it up. Please don't like in a year say like, oh no, actually we found this to be way better. Please don't. Um, <laughs> oh, it's one of those things too where it's context is super important, right? Yeah, like nutrient yeah. timing isn't important for most people. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to, if you're a bodybuilder, mm-hmm. nutrient timing can make a little difference for you, right? Any two, two to 3% advantage can be the difference between winning and losing a competition. Mm-hmm. Two to 3% advantage for me or you who's not doing that kind of thing, it, it's not even going to, it's going to be negligible. You're not right. even going to notice that type of boost. So 
that's the kind of thing where it's context dependent, right? Mm-hmm. If you're an athlete, especially an elite athlete, it might hurt and it certainly it might help and it certainly won't hurt. Or if you have multiple events in a day, that's where nutrient timing does become important. So mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like I speak too much in generalities. Um, but for most people, most of the time, it's not a critical factor. Mm-hmm. But there are certain circumstances and there are certain populations where it certainly can be beneficial. Yeah. It's the same thing with counting calories and you know, counting macros and, and getting, you know, diving deep down the rabbit hole. There's a time and a place for that. It's mm-hmm. just not going to be for most people or for most clients most of the time. Right. It's like, all right, well, let's, let's just make sure we have a almost like a baseline. All right, let's try the baseline. If it's not working out, let's, let's deviate from there. Yeah, exactly. And it's and one of the things you really want to work on is is making sure you have a strong foundation. Yeah. You know, there's Craig Weller of PN wrote an article, oh, it's probably a little while ago now. But he talked about how he, he had been surfing for years essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, but he had kind of skipped some of the steps you're probably supposed to do because it wasn't cool to use like this beginner board and so he used a more advanced board and all these kind of things. He's a pretty good surfer. But then he went to like Costa Rica, to, like this famous surf school essentially mm-hmm. and they made him go back to like this beginner board and do all these things and he felt kind of like ridiculous like man i'm i'm beyond this right and they were like no like the the most important thing the reason the guys who are the best are the best is because they are the best at the fundamentals their foundation is so strong that they can therefore do these crazy tricks because mm-hmm. it's it's become so ingrained in them to be in such like the appropriate position and all these different things. They don't have to think about that stuff, but it's only because their foundation is as rock solid as it is mm-hmm. that they are as good as they are. And so that really stuck with him. You had a really great article about it. I don't even, I don't even remember what it was called. Um, but it's on the PN site. Yeah. The past year, maybe it was really good. It really stuck with me. Um, and I've, I've always tried to reiterate that whenever I, I do talks because it's, it just made so much sense. And it, it applies the same thing in nutrition. And I think sometimes fitness professionals kind of forget that and they'll have clients do more advanced protocols because that's mm. what the fitness pro is doing because it's working for them. Right. But we've kind of forgotten. Like that's that curse of knowledge. Right? We've forgotten. We've come so far down that path. Our foundation is so strong. We don't even think about the foundation anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and our clients aren't us, and they're not in that same position a lot of the time. So you got to help them build that foundation first. I, I think for for some people out there, and I remember when I was working at Boston Sports Club and trying to like maximize results with clients, like I was almost trying to get them to sprint with me. You know, yep. no, like like nutritionally, like trying to get them to sprint, and that's what you did. You said like, all right, well, I'm going to give you this sheet. It has everything that you can eat on it. <laughs> if it's not on the sheet. Go after yourself. Like that was it, um, and it's just great how much more we're, we're learning about people actually developing and informing uh, habits that they can maintain, and, and the best way to to go about this stuff is not always going to be all right. We're just going to go into it one hundred percent. Maybe we go into it seventy percent. We try to work our way up to ninety percent. Yeah, just like you you don't do calculus until you learn arithmetic, right? You don't totally, yeah. do your driver's test until you learn to to change lanes and park the car. Mm-hmm. There's a progressive progression, right? It should be like kind of a progressive model. If someone's already far down that path, okay, mm-hmm. awesome. We can now take them if they want to go that far further down the rabbit hole. But if they're way back at the beginning, we don't skip, you know, steps one through ten just so we can get to step eleven because it's cool. Did your I wonder if your friend went to the Johnny Utah surfing school? Because that's the one I was looking into. Johnny, <laughs> <laughs> just a point break reference there, Kevin. Yeah, it's, it's always a good time for a point 
Point Break 1991, not 2015. Point Break yeah, 1991 with some Patrick uh, Swayze. So, and Keanu, who's still kicking ass. Um, so from uh, from there, let's let's talk uh, a little bit about about failure um, because this is something that that we're actually hitting on a second ago. But there's there's people out there that are just they they feel like failures because they continue to try to make changes. They may take two steps forward, but then it's one step back, or maybe it's two steps forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back, then two steps forward, three steps back. Like it's kind of uh, a continuous circle of what they are going to perceive as as failures. Um, so how do you go about like you've interviewed someone that you're going to work with, and you just kind of see a, a history of of failures, and even you start to work with them, you see that there's, uh, you know, almost a a pattern of not being able to to make change. How do you how do you go at that? How do you how do you address that? And how do you try to how do you try to make changes? I don't know if you have any specific like clients or, or cases where you've just had people that have been so so difficult to work with, but then you finally kind of broke through. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all had you know, situations like that. But uh, to go back to like the, the heart of the question, I think that kind of comes back to the art of coaching much more mm. than like nutrition science. And so if someone, one of the things I really like to, to do, and one of the things I'll be, I'll be talking about when I do give this workshop uh, this weekend is the, like the art of reframing. So let's say someone mm. is, is saying, or you've re- you're reading through your assessment paperwork and they've tried, you know, 10 different diets over the past 12 years and they're still kind of stuck rather than pointing out the fact that they've failed 10 times point out the fact that they have been so resilient and have tried they continue to try in the face of failure for 12 straight years have tried 10 different approaches there's actually something to be said for that you know they didn't just give up they've now come to you because they're still trying you know see it's about reframing the perspective because this client's coming from the perspective of oh man i just you know i I just keep failing. I can't figure it out. I can't get it right. Whereas you can point out, you know what? Like, okay, yeah, maybe it hasn't worked out. But I'm amazed at how persistent you've been and how resilient you've been that no matter, no matter that it's, it hasn't worked out, you've kept coming back and you've kept trying. I'm trying to reframe their perspective to, to see the positive. Like what's actually the positive of that has been the fact that they have continued to, to carry on you know, and to keep at it. That's, there's something to be said for that. You know, a lot of people would have just given up at some point and been resigned to the fact that it's just not in the cards for them or that, some kind of thing like that. You know? So reframing can be really helpful. And then if someone's like, let's say you've done that, but you're working with them and, and things still aren't going the direction you want, they're not following through on things you've discussed, then I think you need to have some crucial conversations about what they are willing and not willing to do. Like at PN, we have this test, like ready, willing, and able. So you kind of have the, you got to ask them like, you know, is the, some of the things we've discussed and that you've told me you want to do, are you really, really ready, willing, and able to do these things? You got to kind of have that crucial conversation about like, it's okay. If there are some things you aren't willing to do, that's totally okay. But as your coach, I need to know what they are so that I'm not suggesting you do something that you're not w- really willing to do, but you don't want to let me down. So you tell me you are willing to do it. Mm-hmm. And then your, my expectations and your expectations don't actually match up. And then you come back feeling like a failure. And then I'm frustrated because I feel like a failure as a coach because I'm not 
be able to give you things that are actually working for you. And so no one's winning here. So you got to kind of have that crucial conversation where you talk about and just be honest. It's okay if there are certain things you don't want to do and don't want to give up. There can be value in not giving some stuff up because they give you comfort or they remind you of a lo- of loved one you lost. There can be a million reasons why you don't want to give something up. We just need to – I need to know those kind of things so that we can find the things you are willing to do so I can help you make the kind of progress you want to make. So it's – that's where like our, our level two coaching program is so key because mm. you know Krista – Scott Dixon, I mean, she's brilliant at this kind of stuff. She's far better at, at this than, than I am. This is really her wheelhouse. And she's so good at getting people to understand that and become really, really skilled at that aspect of coaching. And you can get, get through, I mean, it feels like you're getting through so many more people. Really what it is, is you're learning to understand people so much better. And I know it sounds kind of hippie and whatever, but unless you're just working with physique athletes who will just pound through whatever they need to do to get the look they need to look. Most people in the real world aren't, don't live that way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not, it's, their livelihood doesn't depend on their body composition. So you got to have a totally different skill set, you know, to work with, with the regular population for lack of a better word. So, you know, you got to be able to understand and speak to those people and understand exactly what they are willing and aren't willing to do. And you've got to have those kind of conversations. And there are many other tools that, that we suggest. And I would highly, I always highly recommend people check out motivational interviewing. And not because you want to try to be a therapist, because I think that's often taken too far. People just try to get into this MI mode. They just only ask questions and only try to have the, the client solve the problem for themselves. And mm. there's value in that. But that's often taken too far. And you're still a part of the process. You're still a collaborator as a coach. But understanding that you have to ask questions and dig deep and it's not just assigning a habit and then just hoping they actually follow through. Uh, heads up. This, this is probably a dumb question. Um, but do you, do you ever have, do you feel like you need to talk people out of a six pack? You know, <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is you actually, you, you wrote, and this is one of the pieces that again came up, uh, maybe a couple months ago, but, um, I believe you wrote it when you were kind of talking about like, you know, there, there's going to be certain sacrifices that you're going to have to make to to get a, a six pack. There's going to be trade offs that you're going to have to make. And like trying to find out for that person, is it going to be worth it? Because I think like one of the new not like new trends, but like one of the new things is like people saying a lot, like, actually, I don't want a six pack. I'd rather, you know, be able to go, go out to eat with friends or I, I, st- I would still rather, you know, have more fun in life. Like having a six pack is not fun anymore or something like that. You know what I mean? So, um, I'm, I'm just curious if you, if you find that you've ever had to do something like that. Uh, like the people, exactly. people who say like, you know, yeah, the, my goal is six pack or in, even if you find out like why they want that six pack, but they're never going to do what they need to do to get to that six pack. I mean, well, that's a different question. You know, if, if their goal is, look, man, I want to do, I want to get a six pack, mm-hmm. you know, you, you let me know what we need to do to get there and I'm going to do it and it's my thing. And if it's what they really want to do, you know, the key thing as a coach is to, Make sure that clients, again, like I noted earlier, are making informed choices. So as long as they're aware of the potential trade-offs, um, if they're okay with those trade-offs, then hey, it's their goal. It's not your goal. Just because you may not want a six-pack doesn't mean that you can't help clients who do, right? Like having a ripped six-pack isn't my goal either. I have just about three kids. You know, I got a wife, full-time job. My wife has a full-time job. We get a lot of things going on. Like I want to be fit and lean, but being like shredded is not 
a significant goal of mine. Um, but for some people, it is a significant goal. At one point in my life, it probably was a significant goal. And so I would have, if I had had a coach, I would have expected them to help me reach it because it's something I really wanted to do. So as a coach, your, your job isn't to talk people out of it. It's to make sure that they're just making an informed choice and they know what the benefits are, but what the, what the costs are, right? What the trade-offs are. And the, yeah, the piece you were referring to was the cost of getting lean. Right. It's by far, by far the most like red piece we've ever had. It's had really? like, a million views or something like that. Whoa. Oh yeah. Like 10 times, maybe not quite 10 times, just about 10 times like the views of maybe even be three and a half million. I'd have to ask JB for the actual numbers. It crashed did, our did site. Do you get paid by the click? Yeah, that would be nice. That one would have made me a nice chunk of change. You're writing for (laughs) piece that we've ever had. It's gone like truly viral, right? Mm -hmm. Like it went like millions of people saw it basically, and it crashed our PN website because so many people were trying. We had like over a thousand people trying to see it per second, or there's like almost a thousand. Awesome. They had just upgraded the servers. I got this whole story. It was fascinating. Um, But anyway, like the whole point of the piece is the whole point of the piece isn't to tell people not to get a six pack. And sometimes I think that's what was interpreted. The The intent of the piece was to simply make an informed choice. Mm. So to give you a, a concrete example, I had a client online client. Oh, maybe about this time last year ish, you know me with time. It just kind of becomes a blur. So she was an online client. She probably only had, she was in her like early fifties. Um, mid-50s, post-menopausal, helped her lose about 10 pounds. She didn't have a ton to lose. She just had like some like love handles, which she wanted to lose, how she framed it. You know, mm-hmm. She wanted to just fit into some jeans she had fit into when she was in her 30s. And we got there, right? She, she lost 10 pounds. She felt awesome. It took a while. And then she decided, you know what? I really want to push harder. I want to lose another five or 10 pounds and like, be, be as fit as I've ever been. And I was like, okay, that's, that's cool. We can do that. I just want you to know, like, this is what it's going to take. These are the kind of things I'm going to suggest to you. Are you okay with that? Are you ready, willing, and able to do those things? We had that discussion. She said, you know, it's, some of them seem a little daunting, but yes, I want to try. And if it doesn't work or I feel crappy or I feel like it's you know, not fitting my lifestyle, I will let you know and you know, we can reassess. Mm-hmm. That's all I ask for. I just want honest feedback and let me know what you're ready, willing, and able to do. We just had a very open line of conversation and communication. And she did it for like maybe maybe a month or so, lost like two or three more pounds. I mean, she was getting down to like the you know, least amount she could really feasibly lose. And she decided, you know what, like, this is just too hard. I just don't, it's just making, um, you know, like stuff with my husband difficult in terms of going out to eat, in terms of going out with friends. There were some things she had to kind of give up or to decrease significantly to kind of get to that level of leanness that she thought she'd be able to do it. And she did it for a while. Then she just decided, you know what, I was, I, I was happy enough where I was. I was, you know, as fit as I'd ever been, fitting in jeans I hadn't fit into in 20 years. And I'm, I'm just going to go back to that because it fit my lifestyle better. And, but mm-hmm. that was her choice. She may have decided that she loved the challenge of the other steps and wanted to stay there. You know, but fundamentally, it's not about talking someone out of it. It's just making sure they're aware of you know, what the consequences could be. And uh, that, yeah, that piece was, I remember now that I'm looking at this again now, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is from like a year, maybe even more than a year ago now. Yeah, but, but a year uh, and a half. It was November, October or November of 2014. I know because we were in Toronto for like a team meeting. And I was, I was having a meeting with like one of my coworkers mm-hmm. and I was trying to show him something on our site and they just kept giving like this error message. I was like, what the hell is going on? And so I couldn't access anything. It was really pissing me off. And it's come to find out it's because 
the site actually crashed. Awesome. And you guys did the cool thing of doing the, you recorded audio version of the, the article yeah, too. Yeah, because- all of our, our talks now, recorded audio version. So you can listen, you can read it, you can check out the infographic right. or you can listen to it. You've got all three options. And it's brilliant because so many people, like they'll look at something that's more than 200 words and they'll just click away right. because they are they like with this, you can click on it, listen to it. And then even if you're that ADD, go and open another tab where you can look at the Red Sox score. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I prove the internet. <laughs> you know, like, and, I, and you're not going to want to, if you're not someone who likes to read 5,000 word opuses, you're not going to want to read articles I write because they tend to be uh, monsters. Like the metabolism mm-hmm. piece I wrote, JB and the editor, and we ended up cutting out like nine pages worth of content. Geez, and we're already getting up on uh, an hour, so we'll start uh, wrapping things up with uh, with this. I, I, let's talk about caffeine. All right? Yes, you know, you know, me, I'm good friends with caffeine. Me and him <laughs> have been just like the best of friends for years. We have had our highs I and lows, um, and we've even hung out with Yohimbi a little bit, and in, in, in B12. Um, yeah, see your double spike sessions. That's only happened a couple times, all right? Let's be real. And I only went through like a six to 12-month period of having two spikes a day. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was so, a problem. So this is the thing. This is the thing. Um, I, 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 the only caffeine I get these days, and you'll, you'll be blown away by this, is uh, cold brew coffee that I make at my house, nice and cheap. Um, nice. Green tea. And uh, Amazing Grass makes an energy Amazing Grass Energy. It's watermelon flavored, and uh, it's a nice greens product that has a little bit of uh, natural caffeine from from green tea that's in it. So I'm, I'm much better than my two Rockstar recoveries or two spike uh, spike shooters a day. Well, you're approaching thirty, Kev. You got to kind of tone it down a little bit, right? Well, here's this is what I want to ask. I want to ask. I want to ask a couple questions about caffeine. So I guess the first thing is when, when, do you, when do people know when caffeine is becoming a problem in, <laughs> in their life? You know what I mean? Because like I was still functioning, like I was still doing, uh, I was working, I wasn't having heart palpitations. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't sleeping super great, but I was still pushing, I was still pushing the weight around in the gym. I was still, uh, everything else from the doctor checked out, but, um, when when does when like are there any warning signs when you know that that caffeine is becoming a problem in in a client's life? Yeah, I mean there can be a couple different things, right? There can be the symptoms that you're talking about of like heart palpitations, racing heart, trouble sleeping, you know, hand tremors. Like if you really feel like oh, this is, I don't feel right, right on a daily basis from the amount of caffeine or coffee or whatever it is, whatever source of caffeine you're getting in. Obviously, that can be an issue, especially if it's drastically interfering with your sleep. Um, even if you're still falling asleep, caffeine can prevent you from getting into like deep phases of sleep. Mm-hmm. So if you're never feeling rested in the morning because you're consuming so much caffeine, that can be a problem. And there's also the issue of um, you know consuming it to excess and you actually end up having like withdrawals. So I actually think it was Eric Cressy who wrote a blog post – Again, I don't know, six months ago, maybe three, six months ago. Um, he talked about how he was drinking like copious amounts of coffee. Yeah. Either he went somewhere for some reason, he drastically decreased his coffee intake and he had like major withdrawals, like sweating, shaking. Mm-hmm. Um, he posted about it on, on, on ericcrusty.com. I remember this. Yes. Yeah. So if you ever feel like you wake up and you can't function without having a cup of coffee, 
and if you're waking up at like 4 a.m., that, that's one thing. But if you wake up at like a, a usual wake-up time, you know, mm-hmm. between 6 and 8 a.m. or something, and you feel like you literally cannot function without coffee, or if you have don't have coffee that morning, you have headaches, or you're sweating, or you're shaking, or having other symptoms of withdrawals, that's a sign of, of an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's something to be a little bit more mindful of. Now, I'm, I mean, I'm a fan of coffee. I, I do enjoy several good cups of coffee a day and, and a fan of green tea. But I just try to be mindful of my intake so that I don't run into an issue like that. You know, not mm-hmm. exceeding, on average, not exceeding like probably three or maybe four cups of coffee. When I say cups, I'm talking like eight ounces. So like 24 to 32 ounces of coffee a day. A lot of times people be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I have two cups of coffee a day and they have two Ventis from Starbucks. And that's, mm-hmm. that's 40 ounces. That's five cups of coffee, um, let alone if you're having other things, other sources. Right. So by cups, I literally mean eight ounces. Uh, try not to exceed that and you're probably going to be just fine. And there's some evidence, even the um, USDA dietary guidelines now will tell you, I think up to like five cups of coffee a day is totally fine can actually provide some significant health benefits that's true so long as it's not interfering with your sleep or you're not consuming it you know late at night those kind of things it caffeine does have what is like a seven to nine hour Mm half-life in that ballpark don't quote me in the exact number um you know so consuming it well into the afternoon can definitely interfere with sleep and that can be an issue but it's i would say for the most part it's an issue when you have some type of physical symptom the heart racing the tremors or like a psychological symptom i guess still a physical symptom too of like withdrawals if Mm -hmm. you don't have it and there's actually like an adverse reaction that's a concern Okay, so I think I'm, I'm all right. So I, I, I get how yeah, yeah, of course, self-diagnosed that you're fine. <laughs> yeah, no, this is exactly what we're doing. This is my this is my one question that I get to personally ask. But um, yeah, so so this is I'm probably at a rock solid thirty two ounces of coffee and um, six cups, six to eight cups of green tea plus six a day. Yeah, <laughs> plus because I double bag them, man, um, <laughs> and. <laughs> Then the then the energy the greens energy thing which is another eighty milligrams but that's like that might as well be like a glass of tap water. Um, so, yeah. so, so th- hold on the research that I've looked at this is I haven't looked at caffeine like specifically in a little while but when I wrote I wrote like an all about coffee article for PN it's actually the first article I ever wrote for PN yeah um, and some of the stuff I remember looking at like does coffee dehydrate you and that kind of stuff and I, dr- like, I drink lots of water. Up to like 550 milligrams in habitual users, they found no evidence of, of like dehydration whatsoever. Same amount of volume in is out, mm-hmm. and that's like five cups of like drip coffee. You're already at four cups of drip coffee, let alone your how many six to eight cups of green tea. Now, great, again, green tea is more depends. Potent, yeah, but no, this still- is Japanese green tea. This is stuff from Costco. This is Edoen. This is the real deal. It's actually green and not brown. Yeah, so it, it's possible it has a higher caffeine content. I'm not I sure. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> so you are probably pushing the limits of a safe and reasonable caffeine intake. Have you ever had your your genetics, your genes tested to see if you're a fast metabolizer or a slow metabolizer? No, should I do that? Yeah, people who are slow metabolizers of caffeine by consuming more than two cups of coffee a day increase their risk of a non-fatal heart attack. So, okay, if, if this is something that someone would want to do, is this something that I go to my, my general... No, no. You'd go to like uh, 23andMe or Gene by Gene. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of an investment. 
Yeah, it's probably like uh, one or two hundred bucks, and you're obviously going to learn a lot more than just whether you're a fast or slow metabolizer. Um, I'd say twenty three and Me and Gene by Gene are probably your your two best bets, but it depends on exactly what you're looking for and how much you want to spend. Um, but there are, like I said, there's Athletogen. There are some other companies, DNA Fit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you can check them out, and you know they're they're giving you snips. You know your single nucleotide polymorphisms. They're not getting. They're not diving deep into your genetic data. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are going to see some cool stuff. Whether you have like the the gene that if you drink coffee it decreases your risk of Parkinson's, you'll learn that. If 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 the gene that you have where eating broccoli significantly improves your ability to for to help your liver out, you'll learn that kind of stuff. Um, so it's just cool to know. Um, yeah, I guess I you know I, I would be interested in checking that. I get a nice history of Parkinson's in my family, so that'd be good to know. Um, I'm, I'm trying to look up the the caffeine content of this this green tea, and unfortunately, I cannot find it. But I'm sure it's rock solid. Um, yeah, I mean, caffeine green tea is normally about forty milligrams per eight ounces off the top of my head. Yeah. So what? I'm not saying I have a problem, and then the reason why I. <laughs> And this is and this is the thing where actually I've used caffeine more as a digestive aid than anything else these days because I've had a history of digestive problems where things can sometimes back up uh, and the coffee in the morning has been rock solid for me and same thing like when I get home at like six six o'clock at night have another one another sixteen ounces and uh, yeah <laughs> I'm in bed at ten thirty I'm 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 knocked out. Um, yeah, have you ever have you used like a sleep cycle or an app like that that's seeing Oh, it's probably terrible. Yeah, like what what actual what phases of sleep you're getting into? Well, this is this is the thing. So, okay, I have I have this set amount of caffeine in me per day right now. Okay, let's say I want to reduce it. What 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 is the the protocol that you would recommend? Is is it something we we cut in half? Do we cut it in, you know, 10%, 15%? What do we do? Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't have like a set protocol right. that I, I – this isn't, this isn't something I run into overly. And free. it depends. No one is having four grams of caffeine in their body a day like me. Right, right. So, yeah, we'd probably systematically reduce it, I would say, between 10 and 25%. Um, it would, depending on what you're willing to give up. We'd have that ready, willing, and able conversation. Yeah. You know, and see like, okay, 25%. No, it's too big. Okay, well, how about 10%? Yeah, you can make that work. Awesome. Let's start there and see how it goes. Okay. Okay. Um, also, for your digestive issues, have you ever heard of Ubiome? No. So Ubiome is some cool testing where they will actually give you tons of data about the bacteria in your GI tract, right? Your, your microbiome. But you have to give a stool sample, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mail it away, and then they analyze it, and you, get, you can see you know, what percentages of you know, lactobacillus versus you know, uh, bifidobacteria versus you know, X, Y, and Z, all these different species – or genera, whatever they are. I never remember that. Um, and you can see how that compares to the other million samples they've taken and then what that could mean in terms of inflammatory status or mm-hmm. calorie absorption or bowel movement frequency. Um, it's really cool. We're actually doing some really cool testing with that. We're going to be doing some like gene testing, ubiome testing and stuff like that for some high-level athletes we're working with. Do you know how to spell that? Ubiome. It's just a U, the letter U, yep. E-I-O-M-E. Okay. So if, if if I get this done, would would it potentially also give me some suggestions on ways that I can improve things? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, there's you know some things you can do. Obviously, we can discuss it if you want. Um, 
yeah, they'll, they'll definitely. And you, there's some different things you can do to to modify your bacterial mm-hmm. population, but that's that's harder than most people think. Right. Like just taking regular probiotics does not permanently alter the bacterial makeup of your GI tract. Gotcha. Okay. Um, anyway. Yeah, I mean, we finished talking about talking about crap, so that's a, that's a <laughs> rock solid way to finish up a show. Absolutely, um, it's a good ending. So, uh, with all that stuff, of course, um, you are you're over at uh, Precision Nutrition. I'm going to check this stuff out, and I will I will let you know um, because in the in the grand scheme of things, 200 bucks not that not that much money. Right. Um, if you can learn quite a bit about, you know, ways that you could uh, fuel yourself better or, or live a better life, that's not a bad deal um, at all. So I will uh, I will go check that stuff out. And um, I will mention before we wrap up, uh, this is a show that is now part of a podcast network at fitcast.network. So if you go over there, check out all the other great shows that uh, are going on and uh, please give it a look because that's kind of like the new deal. This is now... A uh, this is now a business and nice. it's now a company. So that's what nice. we're doing. Let's 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 support the support the other things going on. And I would love feedback if you want to hear shows on specific stuff. You know, I can get those people together and we can make it happen. So, uh, where's the best way for people to get a hold of you, Brian? If people want to like, you know, get more information on, on what's going on at, at PN or or even just in in general, you're still doing any stuff on your on Twitter sometimes. <laughs> yeah, social media is not uh, not my thing. You know, I was, I was on Facebook when it was the Facebook way back in, in, yeah, college. in college. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, I'm just not a big. I, I just don't find the the time. I have other things I prefer to take up with my time. Um, so it doesn't really interest me. So yeah, Twitter. You can go to Twitter. And you'll probably see me post uh, once every quarter or six months or so um, but for the most part you can find me at, at, at precisionnutrition.com I mean I write lots of articles for PN I do lots of speaking on behalf of PN um, so precisionnutrition.com and actually for all of your your podcast listeners JB and I have now kind of put together a cool resource um, if you go to precisionnutrition.com backslash podcast you'll get you just put in your name and email address or whatever and you'll get sent a lot of the stuff we already talked about today like mm-hmm. the cost of getting lean article and infographic the like calorie control guide stuff we talked about with the hand size portions, our article and infographic on that. Um, it's just a cool like co- compilation of some of the resources that I've talked about today. You don't have to go hunting for them. Boom, just be sent right to your inbox. You won't get spammed or anything like that. It's just um, a nice. We just thought it'd be a nice free gift to to listeners of the podcast. They can get some some cool like um, compiled high quality resources they can use for themselves or with their clients right away. So that's probably the the two places to definitely check it out. Damn, you guys are so good at that. Uh, we try to, awesome. be, try to be as helpful as possible. Yeah, make sure you you do that. Go to uh, precisionnutrition.com slash podcast and and get that stuff. Like this is stuff that you should have um, just in terms of having it in your library and also. I, I think the best way we can all save time and live better lives is whenever we get that question from a family member or something like that about something that we're doing or uh, suggestions for them, send them something to read first and then say, if you have any questions afterwards, we can talk. Um, save so many times. Like just bring a bunch of photocopies to the Christmas party and you'll be good to go. Um, 
So that is going to do it for, for this episode. Thank you so much to, to everyone that has been supporting the network as it has, been, uh, as it has begun. And, uh, of course, Brian, it's always great to, to talk to you, man. So much great information uh, today. And I think, um, I think the snow should be melting outside your house by now, I hope, man. Yeah, man, I got no snow left. We are snow free. Yes. But uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for having me, Kev. It's always, it's always a pleasure. It's always nice to catch up and uh, bust your chops a little bit. So, <laughs> well, it's good thing that uh, we didn't bring up any Halloween costumes. <laughs> uh, we didn't bring up any uh, any stories of getting so. pinned on the bench. Yeah, it's all right. I'm sure there's still there's still some photographic evidence. There's some photographic evidence online if you look hard enough. But uh, yeah, thanks for for not bringing that up and. Uh, yeah, that's going to do it for, for this episode. Thank you so much to everyone out there for, for listening, downloading, supporting, and uh, we will catch you next time. Take care.